Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. They knew that the first thing they had to do was to build the altar in spite of two facts. First, the fear of the people of those countries around them. And secondly, in spite of the fact that the temple was in ruins. It didn't matter. They did it in spite of that. And they did it because they knew that the first thing, first and foremost, what they had to do was worship the Lord no matter what. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ezra. We allow things to get in the way of what's important. We put what's easy and fun in front of what can be difficult and hard. However, as Pastor J.D. teaches us, the Bible lays out the example to us of what we should do. At all times, we must place God above everything else. Our relationship with Him must be what we seek first. From that, our priorities will fall into place according to His will for us. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Ezra, chapter 3, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. All right, let's jump in. Verse 1. And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. I want to take just the first verse before we go any further, because it has to do with this seventh month on the Jewish calendar, where we're told that the children of Israel gathered together in Jerusalem. Now keep in mind that they have just returned to Jerusalem after this decree by Cyrus, king of Persia. And God moved on by way of a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah concerning this man some 150 years before he was born. And so the prophecy was that he would in fact do this very thing and allow the Jews to return And a remnant did, not all. Some stayed, but the ones who did took a great step of faith at great risk and even great peril, made the trip back to Jerusalem. And upon their arrival, it was a little bit overwhelming to see the state of disrepair that the temple, the house of the Lord was in, having been destroyed and of course, leading to the first captivity. So now we're told that as they arrive there in Jerusalem, they gather together in Jerusalem as one man. Very interesting. They are, I suppose you could say, of one mind and one accord. They are so unified. They are so in unity. It reminds me of what Paul writing the Philippians says about how Beautiful and wonderful it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. When there's unity, when there's harmony, when God's people are of one mind and of one accord, they in effect become unstoppable and in terms of what they can do for the Lord. 
And we're actually going to see that a little bit tonight. It's important to understand that this particular month was, and actually still is modern day, a very significant month for Israel and for the Jews. They celebrate during this month three of the seven feasts of the Lord. It's the month that we know to be September. Sometimes it spills into October, uh, but again, this is on the Jewish calendar. But there are seven feasts uh, of the Lord. We did a very in-depth study over a period of about seven weeks. I think I took seven weeks on the seven feasts when we were back in Leviticus chapter 23. Very fascinating study. I really encourage you in your own study of God's Word to study the feasts. They are so epic, if I can say it that way. They're also so prophetic as well because of the fulfillment of the first four feasts in and through and by Jesus' first coming. The feast of Passover was fulfilled in and by the crucifixion. And the feast of unleavened bread was fulfilled in the burial. And the feast of first fruits was fulfilled in the resurrection. And then you had the feast of Pentecost, 49 plus 1, 7 Sabbath, 7 times 7 is 49 plus 1 is 50. And that's where you get Pentecost, pent meaning 5, pentagram, pentagon, that's where we get the five, and that's what the Feast of Pentecost was. And that was fulfilled in the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. And so the next three of the seven feasts, the first four were fulfilled in Christ's first coming. The last three of the seven will be fulfilled in the rapture and subsequently Christ's second coming. And all three of these are fall feasts. And the next feast on the calendar is the Feast of Trumpets. And it's also known as Rosh Hashanah. It's uh, followed by the Feast of the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. Yom meaning day, Kippur, atonement. And then lastly, the seventh feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. It's also known, pardon me, as the Feast of Booths. And what's interesting about the prophetic lineup of these feasts is it's believed that the Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled uh, at the rapture. And that's the next prophetic event on God's prophetic clock and God's prophetic calendar. And then after the Feast of Trumpets, uh, many believe, will be fulfilled by the rapture. And now I realize that this gets into a lot of gnarly speculation about every year when we get to the month of September, according to Scripture, no man knows the day or the hour. That is actually a Jewish idiom related to the Feast of Trumpets. You don't know the day or the hour of this feast commencing because they had to wait until the moon was at the exact spot. And once it was, they would blow the trumpets, hence the name, the Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah Rosh, in Hebrew is uh, head, and in Arabic it's ras. So it's the head of the year. It's the beginning of the new year. 
And that's what they celebrate as. And But they cannot start. And unlike any of the other, I, don't, I did not intend to go into this, but, you know, it's a gift. <laughs> Such is my lot and yours too. So anyway, that's a Jewish idiom, that no man knows the day or the hour, unlike any of the other feasts. The Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, is the only one that you don't know when it starts. And so it's over a period of usually two or three days. And when it starts, they sound the trumpet and they begin the celebration of the Feast of Rosh Hashanah. So that's the next feast, the fifth feast. The sixth feast is the Feast of the Day of Atonement. And this is an interesting feast. Many believe it will be fulfilled in the second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation because this is when the whole house of Israel gets saved. And the Day of Atonement was one day of the year where the high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the sins of Israel. Again, we did a such a fascinating, it was such a fascinating study of all of the details of all of these seven feasts and what they meant and how they all pointed to the person of Jesus Christ and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's a very interesting word in the original language of the Hebrew. It's another one of those Hebrew words that's the same in my native tongue of Arabic. It's the word moad. Moad means, it it can be translated, appointment or appointed time, a time pointing to. So for example, in Arabic, if I were to say to you, Ana andi mo'ad ma'akum, I am saying, I didn't curse you by the way, <laughs> but you have no way of knowing that unless you, but anyway. So Ana andi mo'ad ma'akum means I have an appointed time or an appointment with you, yet future. We have set an appointment, a time that points to that time when that appointment is. So just like in the Hebrew, it was a moad, which is the Hebrew word for feast or festival, moad. It was a time pointing to when Jesus would come and fulfill at the appointed time, moad, that feast. That's what it pointed to. Example, the Passover is the crucifixion. What was the Passover, the Feast of Passover? It was to celebrate the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. What did they do? Well, they took a lamb and they inspected that lamb for four days to make sure that it was without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. It had to be spotless. And then if it passed the inspection, which by the way, four days is the exact amount of time that the Lamb of God, Jesus the Christ, was on trial and found to be without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, without sin. And then once after that four days, the inspection was complete, they would take that lamb, that innocent lamb, and they would slay that lamb. They would take the blood of that lamb on the, at what would be three o'clock on that last day, which was the exact time that Jesus Christ was slain on the cross, his blood shed, and the Israelites were to take the blood from that innocent lamb, and they were to take a hyssop branch, and they were to put it on the doorposts of their house. And they would put it on the top, 
and it would spill and drip down to the basin at the bottom and one on the side and one on the side. Check it out in the shape of a cross. So that the angel of death, the 10th plague, which would take, interesting, the firstborn son would not die. That angel of death that would take the life of the firstborn son would pass over them if they had the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross on the door of their house. How cool is that? How cool is that? And that's the feast of Passover. And that's the feast that pointed to the time when Jesus would come, that appointed time, Moad, when he would fulfill as the Passover lamb, slain for the sins of the world once and for all, so that the angel of death, the wages of sin, the angel of death would pass over us because of the finished work on the cross. That's just the feast of Passover. The feast of unleavened bread is equally, if not more so, detailed and prophetic. There were three, oh my goodness. The, let's just close in prayer by the time we get done with this. Let's move on. There's so much here that I want to get to. So the Day of Atonement is the, many believe, the second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And then the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, was a commemoration and a celebration of how God provided for the Israelites in the wandering in the desert by protecting them. And so they would build these booths. You can go to Israel today when they f- celebrate the Feast of Booths. You can go online and see pictures of these booths, these tabernacles that they, to celebrate the Feast of Booths, they'll construct them and they'll sleep in them. And it is a, and, and many believe this will be fulfilled during the Kingdom Age, the 1,000 year rule and reign, when we rule and reign with Christ, seated with Him, uh, and ruling and reigning with Him for 1,000 years. And it's also, uh, some believe, a fulfillment of eternity future, the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, verse 2. <laughs> How are we doing? What time is it? Don't look at your watches. Then Jeshua, the son of Jazadak, and his brethren the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. I love that, Moses, the man of God. Though fear, now listen to this, verse 3, though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. Wow. Isn't that interesting? To their credit, they knew that they had to do first things first. They knew that the first thing they had to do was to build the altar in spite of two facts. First, the fear of the people of those countries around them. And secondly, in spite of the fact that the temple was in ruins. It didn't matter. They did it in spite of that. And they did it because they knew that the first thing, first and foremost, what they had to do was worship the Lord no matter what. And 
not only worship the Lord, but they had to worship the Lord both in the morning and the evening. And is that not the best way to start a day and the best way to end a day? I'm getting to the place in my life after walking with the Lord for 35 plus years where I'm be, I'm becoming scared to death to not start my day on the in the right way no matter how busy I am. If it means I have to get up even a little bit earlier before everything starts happening, the emails start coming, the phone starts ringing, the you know, the busyness just hits. I just I have to get with the Lord in the morning and I just have to have that time with him in the morning. And then at the end of the day when I'm getting ready to, you know, wind down, I just want to turn everything off and just say, "Okay, Lord, wow, what a day, Lord. <laughs> I had no idea that you had this in store for today." And I I kind of like to do sometimes a recap. I know this might be kind of weird, but I like to kind of go through the things and say, "Wow, Lord, that was really cool what you did." this afternoon when that happened. And that was really cool when you did that. And wow, was that really cool when you did that. Okay, Lord, that one really caught me off guard. But thank you for the way. That's not at all what I had in mind. But obviously, you know, <laughs> your ways are not my ways. And we just kind of go through that. And then I, I like to do a prayer journal, usually in the morning, because it's I'm, I'm fresher and I have caffeine in my system, which is, I believe, of God. I'm convinced there will be coffee in heaven, and it will be very fresh uh, coffee, and the beans will be, mm. anyway, so I digress. But anyway, but there, there's just something about that, that morning time, that morning devotion, that morning time in His Word, the morning time in prayer, and as you do it, what happens, and what I find is it becomes the most precious and priceless and protected even time of the day. And no matter how busy you are, and then when you get to the end of the day, there's also that that time. Uh, sometimes it's more abbreviated, depends on how tired you are, and usually you're really tired at the end of the day. But I usually just like to end the day just with that time with the Lord, just thanking Him, thanking Him, and praising Him. And, and here's something else too. I, I didn't want to go too far on this one as well. We're only on verses 2 and 3. But what I'm really starting to realize is the importance of verbalizing. And I'll explain what I mean. In Psalm 91, we're told that we're to say the Lord, say out loud. And we're going to see this here in a little bit too. Out loud, say, the Lord is my refuge, in Him I will trust. Now why is that important? Because there's something about saying it out loud and hearing yourself say it. So in my office, uh, in my house, I, I have this little area where I walk back and forth and I'm I'm talking to the Lord, I'm praising the Lord, and I'm doing it out loud, not in my mind. What I'm finding is when I do it in my mind, I I wander, right? And so I, I do it when I'm walking and I'm talking and I'm praising Him and I'm praying. And then I got my Bible right there and I've got my computer software right there, my Bible program. And so I'm, I'm kind of walking up to it and I'll, I'll read a, a psalm or verse in the psalm. Then I'll, I'll walk around and I'll start, now don't, don't get me wrong here, I'll start claiming it. Oh, 
One of those, huh? You know what's really sad? The whole name it, claim it, word faith group has really damaged, I think unnecessarily, this truth about claiming the promises of God. And I think what's really sad is, is that Christians have thrown the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. And we've gone to the other extreme, lest we become grouped in with and labeled as, you know, the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. You know, there are promises throughout the pages of Holy Writ that are there for us to claim. And I claim them out loud. You promised this, Lord. It's in your word. And I'm claiming it. I don't see it, but I'm claiming it. And I do it out loud. And when my kids walk up, they think, wow, Baba's losing his mind. He's completely lost it. <laughs> he's doing He's Mom, you better go up and check on your husband. Anyway, but there's so much power in that. There's so much power in that. Let's. We're going to talk about that more in, in a little bit. So, but... This was what I'm going to call the first works, and I think you'll see why in just a moment. This is the first works, and this was the problem with the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus, the first of, talk about another fantastic and fabulous study. It's in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches. But the church of Ephesus was the first of seven churches And Jesus has John, the apostle, banished to the island of Patmos, write seven letters to seven physical churches in Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey today. And they were all close in proximity on a postal route. And what's interesting about this first church is that they left, not lost, left their first love. And what's even more interesting is... What they're told to do is exactly what the Israelites were already doing by building the altar and worshiping the Lord. I want to read Revelation chapter 2 verses 4 through 7. This is just a portion of that letter to the church in Ephesus. John writes, Jesus dictates and says, after commending them for what they were doing right, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Now here's what you need to do. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. What worked at first, the first priority, first things first, or else I will come to you and quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I like how one summed it up with the three R's. Remember, repent, and repeat. We're so glad we've had this time with you today as we've continued through the book of Ezra with Pastor J.D. Farag. Pastor J.D. is the lead pastor at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe in Kaneohe, Hawaii. And if you happen to live here, you're invited to visit. Calvary Chapel Kaneohe holds services Sundays at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. and in-depth Bible studies each Thursday at 7 p.m. Directions can be found on our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
If you can't join us in person, you can still benefit from Pastor J.D.'s teachings through our online resources at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Simply click Listen on the top of the page to gain access to a number of previous messages by Pastor J.D. in various books of the Bible. You can also find these teachings on our mobile app and take them with you on the go. In addition to accessing those teachings, you can also check out the Mideast Prophecy Update, where Pastor J.D. shares current events and their prophetic importance. Here's Pastor J.D. to tell you more. Yes, Josh, that's right. In doing the prophecy updates, we do focus our attention on current events through the lens of Bible prophecy. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 29, Jesus said that he has told us what's going to happen before it happens, so when it happens, we will believe. This is why we have a very simple gospel presentation at the end of each prophecy update. It's our hope and prayer that many would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Sure hope you'll join us each and every Friday and Saturday for our Bible Prophecy Update. You can also find the updates at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. There you'll find a link to our YouTube channel for the latest update. Thanks, Pastor J.D. It's our prayer that the scripture shared here will work its way into your heart and life through the Spirit's power. Join us for more from the book of Ezra on the next edition of In Spirit and Truth. Will you-